Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're welcome along to News Talk's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about our last programme regarding the childcare sector in Ireland and specifically focusing on the insurance industry. You can still listen back to the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or on the GoLight app. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we'll be discussing mortgages and asking why we're spending so much on them in this country. Joining me to discuss our panel in studio today, presenter of The Home Show here on News Talk on Saturday mornings from 9, Sinead Ryan, Frank Conway, founder of Money Whiz and also qualified financial advisor and the founder of the consumer website askaboutmoney.com, Brendan Burgess. My thanks to you all for joining us in studio today. Um, I was just reading in the papers earlier this week new figures from the CSO talking about property prices that they've you know increased nationally um, in the year to last November. They were up 1.4% across the country. House prices have stabilised over the last year and in Dublin prices have decreased uh, by about 0.7%. Um, it's good news, I suppose, Sinead Ryan, for anybody looking to buy a house in Dublin. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it's also very predictable. I mean, this is exactly what the central bank had in mind when it brought in the new mortgage lending guidelines on loan to value and loan to income rates, which uh, it had to come out just before Christmas. Uh, uh, Gabriel McLoof, the current head, came out with this, uh, <coughs> this big stick and said, nothing's changing here, folks. To stop it, I think, probably becoming an election issue. Um, there'll be uh, politicians... Uh, putting enormous pressure on on uh you know, the, the bank to, to try and move those rates around, uh, particularly for constituents who still can't afford to buy a house. But, there, you know, what's good for, what's bad for the individual is very good for society and that's exactly what was supposed to happen. So, uh, Bulabus there. Uh, what it does mean, of course, is that uh, hopefully this will in- involve an onward decreasing pressure on price. Now, what it means for the supply end of the market, which is still chronic, is that some people now might be looking at their house and thinking, has my street reached its maximum value and is it now time to put it up for sale because the prices aren't going up anymore. So you might see a secondary influence there of more house, second-hand houses coming on mm-hmm. the market, which would be a good thing. I might ask you all just for your assessment of the sector as it stands at the moment. Frank Conway, just on that idea, I suppose, mm-hmm. that um, prices increasing nationally, mm-hmm. but in Dublin, we've a drop. Yeah, and I think, again, to Sinead's point, I think that's what the central bank was looking for. But if we look at mortgage lending overall, it's actually beginning to decrease just very, very slightly. And if we, so the Q4 numbers for 2019 haven't come out yet. But if we look at those, I'm expecting maybe between 33 and 35,000 mortgages for a first-time buyer, second-time buyer, investor. That's roughly 1991 levels in terms of overall lending when there's 1.3 million fewer people in the country. So it's become a very contained market in terms of actually the number of units that are being lent out there. So that in itself tells us that the banks themselves have either reached a level where they're not wanting to lend anymore. And there are specific guidelines around the microprudential rules. They can go in excess of the three and a half times income up to 20% of times Mm. and so forth. So there's different rules out there. So the market overall has become very contained in terms of the actual level of lending. And then the design of the central bank was to actually contain prices when in Dublin. That's beginning to happen. We've kind of reached maximum. So that's worked. This is the three and a half times your salary. Yeah, and the 10% deposit for first-time buyers. It's 20% for second-time buyers, but for first-time bars, it's 10%, so they have to come up with that. Now, there were other measures put out there, like the Help to Buy scheme, which actually has kind of negated some of that. It's helped a little bit along the way, but broadly, what we're seeing now is what the central bank originally wanted. Uh, Brendan Burgess? Yeah, I tend not to speculate about house prices because, um, unlike the rest of the world, I can't predict what way house prices are going to go, 
But it is actually in the interests of society that house prices are brought down and the government could take a number of steps to bring down the house prices. For example, they could abolish VAT on new houses. VAT is 13.5% of the price of a new house. They could abolish the development levies. And the other thing that they could do is they could stop charging private buyers of houses a, a, a levy for supplying social housing. So, you know, if I'm saving up all my life trying to buy a house, I end up having to pay a levy so that Sinead gets a social house. And what we have is the absolutely scandalous situation that people living in Dublin who want social housing demand to be housed in their own community, whereas most people who are buying a house for the first time have to travel a huge distance. They can only afford to buy a house out on the very outskirts of Dublin. And part of that is because they're paying extra prices so that social housing can be provided in Dublin. Is that something, do you think, Sinead uh, Ryan, that might be looked at? I mean, some of those suggestions have been put forward by Brennan. Yeah, I'm, well, certainly, sorry. In, in terms of the um, VAT and levies, uh, that in, has been shown pretty much in every case to be inflationary of itself. It's the same reason that we don't give tax relief on childcare. It just ups the price mm. so that builders and developers just add that on the price. So I'm not convinced, unless you, I don't know how you monitor that, but I'm not convinced it would work. What would work is um, for the state to develop uh, the land banks, the vast brownfield land banks that it owns, even in Dublin City. 50% of all land banks that are vacant in Dublin, Andrea, are state-owned. Still. And it's mm-hmm. it's 2020. Yeah. Uh, so that that would certainly work. Um, in terms of the social housing levy, um, do you know what? I, I, I have mixed views on that because obviously we desperately need uh, quite a lot of social housing. It hasn't been built in 20 years. It's not really been built now, to be perfectly honest. Um, you just have uh, local councils going out and, and, and buying up within within existing private developments. Um, however, uh, the he mentioned, you, sorry Brendan, you mentioned there just there about councils, uh, about people demanding to be housed in their own community. Well, you know, we, we would all want that if we could have it. But a lot of councils have actually brought in a three-strike rule now. Cork, mm, yeah. was Cork City being one of them that says, sorry, we're offering you this. If you refuse it, you come, you go back to the end of the list. Um, and that's just managing the supply. The uh, yeah. can, I do, can I deal with a couple of the issues there? Because they are really interesting issues. When people say to me removing VAT would just push up the prices uh, and go into the pockets of developers, say, absolutely fine. Well, then let's increase the VAT rate to 100% and bring prices down. So that argument doesn't hold, except I do. there will be an effect. And I don't mind seeing house building made profitable because if house building is profitable, well, then more houses more will be houses built. Will. But what I would say is, okay. and I didn't probably say it properly, bring in these rules for houses less than a thousand square feet for starter homes effectively so that um, builders and and uh, developers will build houses. At the moment there's no point in building a house in Dublin, a starter home. You may as well build an expensive home because the prices can pay for it. Mm. But bring in okay. these tax incentives or re- remove the tax um, disincentives uh, for cheaper homes and we'd get a lot of homes. Okay. The other thing, sorry, Just, there's another really important point there uh, that uh, Sinead mentioned. We're not building council houses, we're buying them. And there should be no council houses bought in the cities. 
by you know from private developers because people first time buyers can't get houses because the state is buying but you up. You can't have a situation either though Brendan where all social housing is just removed from But at the, the moment any, anybody who wants to buy a house in Dublin is finding their biggest competitor is the state. The state is buying up whole blocks of apartments okay. and that really is an issue that we should be we should have the courage okay, to stand well, up and say this may, is not maybe, right Maybe that's something we'll come back and, and look at for another day I suppose for today I want to focus quite specifically mm-hmm. on mortgages and Frank a point I wanted to come back to that you mentioned actually a few moments ago um, I was looking at figures from the Banking and Payments Federation yeah. industry you think yeah, they had yeah. figures out in relation to um, uh, 4,200 mortgages, 960 million were approved in November. Yep. This would be of 2019. Strongest growth, though, evident with first-time buyers. So is that a reflection of the point you were making earlier about central bank regulations? This three and a half times the salary, it's, it's working, but people are getting mortgages. Like People are getting mortgages. There's no doubt that people are getting mortgages. And really what you're looking at is, you know, whether or not they have the incomes to buy within Dublin, for example. So what we're finding is that's being pushed out for some individuals. We're back to kind of the commuter counties, which is a, you know, that's a different issue for a lot of different people. But the broad issue is that the level of drawdowns themselves, we tend to look at those. The approvals are interesting, you know, in terms of who gets the mortgage and they may hold off and get and taking that because there is an approval and principle process that happens first. Uh, Just talk actually, to us about that. What, what do you mean in terms of who's getting them? So broadly what will happen is a couple, Joe and Mary, whatever, or Peter and John, whoever will decide to buy a property. So the first thing they'll do is they'll go out to the market and figure out roughly how much they're going to get qualified for. So that's the starting point. So the approval process there, they will get approval and principle from the bank. And the approval and principle is subject to finding an actual property. So the bank may say, I'm going to approve you for 400,000, but you might have found a property you like, maybe for 300,000. The lending is on the 300,000. And the approval in principle expires. So there's two parts to that. First is, who are we approving? So X, Y, and Z customers will all get approved up to a certain amount based on their income, their credit rating, their equity, for example. And then who actually draws down it? Is the drawdowns that are really interesting? Because what's happening is that's the true reflection of the market that reflects the actual buying. Now, that isn't cash buyers, by the way, it's separate. But that is the big driver in the market in terms of who actually gets onto the property market. And those numbers are roughly at 1991 levels, which is interesting in the context that... What do you mean by that? What's well, the... well, roughly, if we go back to 2006, that was the peak of the lending market. So there's five section sectors of the market. There's the first-time buyers, second-time buyers, investors, there's switchers, and there's topper-uppers. So in other words, top-up the mortgage. I removed the last two because they weren't measured back in 1970. So if we go back to 1970 and actually track all the applications and the mortgage drawdown since then... In 2006, we peaked at around 111,000 mortgages drawn down. And that was driven in large part by Bank of Scotland, which was on the market with a lot of uh, switchers, for example, uh, or uh, or, uh, uh, people trading up, for example, second-time buyers. Uh, Since then, it fell to 11,000 in 2011, and it's come back up. So we're seeing mortgage lending activity increase, but in 2018, we saw roughly 34,000 mortgages drawn down. It'll be between 33 and 35,000 for 2019. We just haven't got Q4 numbers mm. yet. Been driven by first-time buyers, which are the overwhelming number. Now, what I'm hearing is there's a lot of switcher business. I don't really track the switcher business, but there's a lot of activity in that in the last couple of months. So the approvals are interesting because we can give us maybe a sense of false sense of what's actually going on in the market. In terms of actually people buying homes, for example, first-time mm. buyers getting qualified, it's still pretty muted compared to what it was going back over over the last uh, 30, 40, 50 years. So that is still recovering and that's the real reflection of the activity in the market. Just when Frank talks, Sinead, there about those particular first-time buyers um, and the anal- his analysis of who's actually getting the mortgages and drawing down the mortgage, do we know what they're buying with the mortgage then? Because I presume these are probably people like myself that are maybe coming out of the rental sector and 
buying their first yeah. property or getting on the ladder? Uh, y- yes, mostly they are. Um, uh, it is first-time buyers because um, wh- wh- what has been policy of, of both of, of the last successive governments for the last few years has been that um, we have a right to to housing, which is in the constitution. What we don't have is a right to home ownership. But that message gets lost sometimes. And it's like, we absolutely must give every 20, 30 something the right to own a three bed semi with the front and back garden. Now, I think that policy is seriously, seriously flawed. It is most evident. And that's why the, the central bank, they only need to save up 10%. They get massive uh, tax breaks uh, from the taxpayer um, not least of which the Rebuilding Ireland Home Loan. And can I just have a minute on the Rebuilding Ireland Home yeah. Loan? I might, can I come to it in a moment, actually, because I have that on my list of agenda, okay. but we'll yeah. come back to that. But so, just... so in terms of, of who's getting the mortgages, it is predominantly first-time buyers, no doubt about it. Now, the, the reason that you haven't seen as many movers in it is precisely because... Um, we've been recovering from negative equity and, and big debts on houses. That has stabilised. I mean, the, the, Pascal, Pascal Dunhu's job was to get us out of negative equity by 2020. That's been done. There is hardly anybody left in negative equity mm. now. So what that makes, that does two things. It makes the banks attractive to sell, which was his number one job. OK, so you've got state-owned banks like AIB, EBS, um, uh, permanent TSB, a bit of Bank of Ireland. They're all floggable now you know, on the market because you you don't make money by having these big, big books. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing it does is make people living in very uh, shoebox apartments now who have just had their first kid, maybe their second mm. child, and now they're thinking, oh, I can afford to move again. I can afford to find somewhere to buy. So they're beginning to pile into the market. But there's no problem getting lending from any bank at all. They're vying with but each see, other for it's it. funny because when, when you're saying that, like I'm thinking of my own situation and like, yes, you know, most of people like myself in my age group, my friends are in a position to get a mortgage. Mm. But we can't, there's nothing, you can't buy anything in Dublin. Like I can't, I can't well, get well, it. You, you, can, can you I, can I, and part, yeah. part of the reason is a lot of private housing is being bought by the government to provide social housing. So you are being asked, actually, do you know what, there's plenty of housing if you want it, but it'll be down in, in, in Dundalk and that, and that, and you'll just have to Kildare, commute. Wicklow. Exactly, so you'll have to commute. It's okay. It's okay for private people. We, we're allowed to commute. We're expected to spend two hours a day driving in and out of work, but no, we can't ask people living in Rings End to move to Pier Street because it's out of their community. Just Sinead, rebuilding Ireland, just explain to people what it okay. is. This was because the central bank has these three and a half percent, three and a half times income rules, which are quite strict. Okay, so yeah. if you're earning fifty thousand well, a year, well, it means people can. You're buying a property that you can afford to repay a mortgage on, as opposed to what happened correct, fifteen years ago correct. when people are living in palatial manors in Donegal. And, and that's why them. that's precisely why they were brought in. But the effect of it is that somebody on an ordinary salary of say fifty thousand euros a year could only borrow a hundred and. 75,000 euros a year and you know and I know mm. and everybody here knows the chances of you buying an apartment in Dublin for that is zero. No, well like, I could commute from Mohol. Right, okay. So like. the Rebuilding Ireland Home Loan was introduced to try and help, allegedly help, those particular people. So people that they consider on lowish incomes, okay. But, but what they allow is, so this is a state loan, it's a subprime loan, okay. And everybody in this room now has the well-known the history of the subprimes. It's a subprime loan because it, it will only be given where you have been rejected out of hand by two mainstream banks. Okay, so you've gone to AIB, you've gone to Ulster Bank, they've just said, no chance, we're not lending you, you're not a good prospect. The state steps in and goes, don't worry about that, we lend to you. Off you go find a house, the defaults will be managed by the taxpayer. Subprime debt defaults at a much higher rate than regular debt. What about the deposit, Sinead, on that? 
depositors are the same. They have to do the same work. These are proper loans. You still need to have 10%. Oh yeah, these are proper loans. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point is, it is subprime business of its very nature. So we're saying on one hand to you and I who who can afford maybe to take out our own mortgage, you go to AIB, you go to Bank of Ireland, um, they'll only give you three and a half times because that's as a country what we've decided. But hold on a second, if they don't want you, don't worry about it. Okay, well, what about people, Frank Conway, just on that, that are working really hard, they're mm-hmm. earning €49,500, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they qualify for the Rebuilding Ireland loan. They're not in a position um, to get a mortgage through, as Sinead mentioned, to any of the, the main banking institutions. What's your view on Rebuilding well, Ireland? within Dublin, it's a real problem, and this is a global problem. It's not just in Ireland. It's also in the UK, it's also in New York City, it's also in Germany, for example. <laughs> so the issue ultimately is, so there's a couple of things at play here. You can get up to five times uh, your salary if you earn in excess of 60,000 or 80,000 as a couple. So you can get up to, because they can surpass the rules, for example. But the other thing is on the help to buy. Most developers, I think now, are probably skewing towards the higher valued properties as well, maybe 350, maybe up to 400,000. Well, they'll cite the cost of building. They'll cite the cost of building, but they're also saying, well, actually, that's the optimum amount that you're going to get back on the tax relief, the 20,000 you're going to get back. So that's a big driver as well in certain markets. So within Dublin, you're finding that, you know, property prices, there is negative equity, the property prices have come back. A lot of people didn't sell in Dublin because they were still in negative equity and they perhaps mm. didn't have the income of that. And I come across it all of the time. So the big issue is that we need to figure out a way. And I think the way you figure it out, and this will take time, is for the state to become an interventionist get involved in the supply of properties at certain price levels, particularly for firefighters, teachers, nurses and so forth. So you need to have that in place. But once we get out of that 20 years ago, much like the waste collection industry, once you get out of it, it's very hard to get back in. You've got to have a long-term policy for that in order to provide that. And also, you need to have that bank, uh, that finance mechanism as well that is there for the individual. So there needs to be two things at play. First of all, the private sector supplying houses, private sector uh, banks supplying mortgages. The state also needs to have a rule in all of these things. Otherwise, what you do is you make it impossible for people to uh, provide frontline services within any society. And that's becoming an issue. And I'll often hear it from first-time buyers saying, combined, they simply can't afford the property in the areas of Dublin Mm -hmm. where they would like to live. And this is a piece of research we did going back 15 years ago. Most people want to live near schools, near homes. And when we talk about an environmental issue, we're talking about maybe the Green New Deal in Europe, you know, it's crazy to think that we're driving 30 or 40 kilometres, 50 kilometres, 60 kilometres to get from, from where our parents may have a piece of land. And this comes up more and more. People may say, because Dublin has a lot of people from the countryside, I'm originally from Kerry, I have to live here. You know, I'd rather live down in Kerry and have a job down there, but I can't. And so in many people will say, well, my parents have a piece of property in Mead, West Mead. I heard Longford last week. Yeah, and, they're, yeah. and they're deeding them the plot and that will go against their inheritance in the future. But it becomes a commuting issue and that has an enormous environmental impact. So we need to think long term in all of this. Okay, just on the Rebuilding Ireland before we move on, Brendan Burgess. Oh, I mean... It, it, the state, like we've cl- criticised the Irish banks for reckless lending. The most reckless lender of all has been the state in terms of it's now rebuilding Ireland. But the previous system we had was was the shared ownership. I mean, shared ownership was a complete misnomer. It was the state lent people 10 times their income and just described half of it as renting. And a lot of those got into real, real difficulty, even when they were given um, affordable homes, which was a discounted price off the market price. So, I mean, it, it, like, it, is, like, it is extraordinary that you can be rejected by two banks uh, for a loan but at three and a half percent. I just want to make sure I'm getting state. my head around this clearly. Is yeah. that not just a case that our, our guidelines, and look, rightly so, given what happened, the guidelines are just so strict and so stringent now that it's impossible for people no, who don't qualify for the social housing criteria 
Okay, but they're there for a reason and it was to not inflate this this particular issue. What you have is, and I have very, very strong anecdotal evidence from uh, mortgage brokers, uh, that what people are doing in order to get this ultra low rate fixed massive loan, what they are doing is deliberately screwing up their application so that it will get rejected because they that's the only way you can apply to Rebuilding Ireland is two mainstream rejections. Now, it's desperately easy to make your application look you know, pretty ropey. So what you do is you get your two rejections, you put them in your pocket, you head off to Rebuilding Ireland and they go, oh, right, OK. And then you create a lovely clean application with your 10% deposit and hand it to them and you get way more money. Like, I mean, why are we doing that? Sinead, now, there are restrictions about the many, maximum How many have been granted? Just, just <laughs> I, like, I don't think it's that big. Well, like, there are restrictions. Like, I hope, wouldn't like that people listening to this programme can think, Oh, this is great. Well, no, I, I, well the yeah, restriction yeah. is about half the lot of restrictions. Well, the restriction is because they capped the amount that was available to 200 million. So they capped the lending that they would do under it. And it just flew. It was absolutely gone straight away. They were completely oversubscribed. But surely by it. it's just very simple that if I go in to apply for, um, for the mortgage under the scheme, that I'll have some. Sure, all you have to do is look at my revenue you know what I mean on the revenue website yeah. or look at any of my bank yeah, no I'm not saying there's no salary. underwriting of it that, that's not what I'm saying that these are proper loans underwritten financially okay so I'm not just saying you can rock up with a terrible credit history and they're going to hand you out a loan they are proper loans and they are given by effectively a state bank however if you are somebody who qualifies under the other sections you have to earn 50,000, I think it's 75,000 for a couple and there are limits on the maximum amount you can buy. So you can't go off and buy a mega mansion somewhere. You can only buy a house, I think it's 250,000. Yeah, there is a limit on what you can so, buy. So, I know, absolutely. Which is very so, difficult to meet in Dublin. So, is it closed now, Sinead? Um, no, 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 it's still open. Um, my understanding now, I don't know wh- what the last budget brought in, um, whether they have capped the amount that is available. I imagine they've had to. Um but it'll be, what will be interesting for me to see isn't the lending. And I mean, people are delighted with this, by the way. You're going to have first time buyers, uh, you know, responding to this item by going, to, what are you on about? This is fantastic. It's the only way I can afford a home. And they're right. However, in five years time, let's see the level of defaults that are on that. Subprime business, business defaults at about 15%. This is why smart mortgages, this is why um, the, the so-called vulture funds that we have uh, have such... Uh, are sweeping the mortgages up loan books from banks because of the default rate on it. Okay. Default rates are higher from subprimes. They just are. It's it's the oh, very right. nature of the business. I'm just going to have to take a very short break because I'm just looking at the clock here. Do stay with us. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Today, we're discussing mortgages in Ireland. Our panel still with us, presenter of the home show here on News Talk on Saturday morning, Sinead Ryan, Frank Conway, founder of Money Whiz and also financial advisor, and Brendan Burgess, founder of the consumer website, askaboutmoney.com. I want to go back. We spoke about rebuilding Ireland in the first part of the programme. Um, I'm conscious of people listening to the show today who are looking about going about getting their first mortgage um, and I'm sure they've heard us talk about the, the first time buyer's grant or allocation or whatever you want to call it. Frank Conway, just explain how that works. Yeah, the first time buyer's grant, yeah, just the help to buy, the help to buy. Okay, yeah. so on the help to buy, basically what it is is the couple has to be, and this comes up all the time, couple has to be both first time buyers or the individual has to be a first time buyer. Now what often happens is the state, well, first of all, the state says we will give you back up to four years of income tax and dirt tax. Well, there's almost no dirt tax being paid right now because there's no interest rates out there. So anybody can uh, claim back up to 20,000 or a couple can claim back up to 20,000. 
what it is is the state says, okay, you have to be tax compliant, you have to be paying tax for the period of time. You must be buying a property up to maybe 500000 Now, it, there's an anomaly here because it says we'll give you back up to 4% of the value of the property, but it's you know 5% of 400000 give you 20000 but you can buy up to 500000 It has to be a previously unoccupied property or a new build, or if you're doing self-build, the builder has to be VAT compliant and everything. So a couple of rules around that in terms of how much you get back. Now, what you have to do then is if you're a first-time buyer, and what often comes up is people say to me, well, I'm a first-time buyer, but my partner may have gone through a divorce mm. uh, and they'll try and trick the system. There's a really big clamp down by revenue on this. So they both have to be first-time buyers. They both claim back and they have to go through the My Account on Revenue or if they're self-employed, it's the Form 11, and they fi- make an application and they get approved for that amount. Now, we talked earlier about first-time buyers going out and having the 10% deposit. This will count towards the deposit on the property. So you just explain that? that. This is where I'm confused about this. Just explain that to me, how that works. Yeah, so let's say Joe and Mary are buying a property valued at 200000 So the rules, the microprudential rules, say you have to have a 10% deposit. So 10% of 200000 is 20000 Now, if they're buying a property for 200000 that means that most of they can claim back on the tax. Now, they could have paid forty or 50000 in tax, income tax, over the last four years. But the most they can claim back is up to five percent of the two hundred thousand that gives you the, that gives you ten thousand. My, my numbers are right. Yeah. Correct, so yeah. so what you do is that ten thousand will count then towards the twenty thousand. So in other words, so what you actually state, only have to have a ten thousand deposit. Five percent. Yeah, five percent. Yeah, yeah. So, but that could happen as well for people who are not. So the real issue here is you have to be buying the new property. And both individuals have to be first-time buyers. Now I've come across cases where people say to me, "Oh well, I owned a property in France," and I go, "Well, the law says that." Anybody who owned a property in another country cannot be a first-time buyer. Mm. And so they need to be very careful in that case in terms of what they disclose because revenue can come back and claim back all of that money. So it's quite a lot of money for first-time buyers. So some first-time buyers might say, well, I couldn't really afford to save that 20000 because I've been paying a rent of maybe 1500 per month. Mm. Now, what the central ba- the banks will say is, yeah, if you're not buying a new property, you, ca- or you can't claim on the help to buy what the state will say is, well, your parents can help you out, but they have to, you know, they can give you a gift of up to a certain amount. They'll count that against uh, inheritance later. But on the help to buy, both first-time buyers the indiv- or the individuals first-time buyer. For, uh, Brandon Burgess, just on that, like anybody, most of the people I know that are looking to get mortgages on their own and then trying to buy a place in Dublin, they're not able to buy new properties. I mean, the most you can buy is probably a second-hand apartment and many of my friends, that's what we're looking at. So we yeah. can't qualify for the help to buy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, again, if you want to, you can buy out. You you could I probably can go back buy. To Mohill, yeah. You can go back to Mohill, and 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 that's it. That's why I think we should. I mean, I I don't like government interference in the market. So when I saw this help to buy scheme, I said, you know, this isn't right. But then I thought, well, actually, all it's really doing is giving back a bit of the VAT, which I don't think should be there in the first place. So I actually got over my problem with this. <laughs> so, but I I do think that we should be saying. We need to build starter homes in the cities in Ireland and we need to work out how we're going to do that. And if that means making it profitable for builders to build starter homes instead of building mansions, well, let's do that. The other thing, which, by the way, on house prices, which Colin McCarthy has said, which I think is a a very good idea. Now, with an environmental hat, I'd have to think a bit more about it. But he said, just get rid of the requirement for zoning for residential developments. In other words, make the assumption that all land is zoned automatically or by default for residential development and that would immediately bring down the price of big swathes of land 
in and around Dublin. That So all the developer would have to do is that they'd have to apply for planning permission, but it would bring down the, the, the land costs. And that's the big element. And, and you know, it's, it's a valid point that if you get rid of VAT and if you give more in loans and if you bring in help to buy, well, all it'll do is you'll increase the supply of money. So all right. that'll happen is you'll put up the price of houses because the price of the underlying land will go up. But if we sort of say, well, actually, you know what? If you've got a farm uh, on the outskirts of Dublin, you can build there, it'll be automatically zoned. And, and that's what happens in other countries, you know. It's uh, intensive development and of apartments rather than houses. Yeah, we have, we've actually have a surplus of houses in Ireland. Yeah. It's an interesting point. I heard Ronan Lyons talk very about good that it, previously. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an apartment shortage, actually. It's not a housing shortage we have. But it, I, you know what, I don't want to sound like I'm just looking for the house for myself, Sinead. But I know <laughs> that for myself, and you know, we're that category. You're the young professional, early 30s. Looking to get a house, working in Dublin, probably going to be in Dublin for another while. Um, and, you know, it's, as Brendan said, it's this thing of you're looking really for a, a two bed duplex. I don't need a big yeah. garden or, you know, yeah. a shed out the back or stuff like that. Yeah. So it's it's that kind of a property. And while the help to buy is certainly signs in the face of it very attractive, for a lot of us, it doesn't. It just, you can't. You be, No, because it's restricted on homes. Well, yeah, the, the second-hand market is ruled out by that scheme. It was supposed to really encourage developers, to be perfectly honest, you know, with that so this, was it doing this gift that? that was doing. Well, it has, because some the supply has definitely seen an uplift. There's no doubt about it. Um, now, would it have happened anyway with the recovering economy? Yes, probably. And, you know, it's small tweaks at the edges is all really government mm. policy could do. I'm, I'm with Brendan on not being a big fan of meddling in this market in the first place. Um, but re- remember, it was only a very short time ago, and... and Frank will remember that banks refused point blank to lend on one bedroom departments of any kind Uh, and as a result that's like the there was no point in building them because they are first time buyer properties and you couldn't get a loan on them uh, because they weren't going to get their money back now the other thing that I think would make a big difference, and I, I totally take Brendan's point on both developing land banks that are state-owned, but also on, on getting rid of the zoning issue. Um, if we moved, this isn't a, a topical message at the moment, but we have a, a law in which absolutely insists that developers must build to an A-rated building. It is exceptionally expensive to build passive housing. If you made that... This is the and energy rating. Yes, yeah. yes. So th- what you have to put in place in apartments to create that rating is it adds considerably to the cost. Um, absolutely massive. What if you made it a top B rated property? You would take 40 grand off the price of that property straight away immediately and you would still have a house that is uh, that is. 100% better than, than half the houses so in So presumably the owner of the house, the owner-occupier, would then pay in terms of bills. Would that be... Yeah, well, well, yes, but it's marginal. I mean, lots of us live in C and D rated houses yeah, and yeah, have yeah. done for 40, 50. Yeah. The vast majority of the housing stock outside, you know, that, know. that is new but is all housing, housing regulations in Ireland uh, insist that you and every other first-time buyer will get a Rolls-Royce. And actually, do you know what? You want to start with a Mini... You might end up with a Rolls Royce in a few years' time. But, you know, if you got a B-rated house within a reasonable commuting distance of where you work... and You could afford you, that. You know, yeah, you'd, yeah, yeah. you'd be happy enough I, with that. 
I want to just go to another couple of points because I do want to focus and have some time um, to look really at tips for people, myself included, who are looking to get a mortgage. But aside from that, I'm conscious that there's people listening today who are maybe in their house for five or 10 or 15 years. Um, they're paying their mortgage back and now they're maybe thinking, they're hearing a lot about switching and there's offers and attractive offers, yeah, to people to look about switching. Uh, Frank Conway, what's your advice to people? So I'll give you an example of, of something I came across a couple of weeks ago. Somebody was in a property, she's paying 4.4% interest rate and she went back to her bank. So the one thing I'd always encourage people is having, having a conversation with their bank. The bank came back and said, we'll get off you 4.2%. And I said, okay, let's try to re-underwrite this and be smart about it. So there was a competing bank in the markets. They were offering loans to existing customers, people like existing homeowners, uh, if they had a loan to value of 60 to 70%. So this person did. They had gone through a whole process, been in the property for a period of time. And I said, look, we look at the comparables in the area. It came out that they were probably at 55% loan to value. Second thing I looked at was their credit history. I said, pull the credit bureaus, the ICB and the CCR, the Central Credit Register. Credit was fine. Third thing was the affordability. I used to be an underwriter a long time ago, so that's how I started off. And I said, okay, based on what you're looking at, you've got a very good debt to service ratio. I said, you can go back to the other lender and probably get 2.8%. I said, but what you need to do is go back to your existing bank. They've gone from 4.4 down to 4.2%. The bank came back and offered a uh, 3%. And she said, well, what should I do? Should I go for the 2.8? And I said, no, there's no point because you have to then go through solicitors and the costs associated with that. I said, in that case, just take what you're being Mm -hmm. offered. So in many cases, what I would say to people is if you've been in the property, property for a period of time, Either go on to the ccpc.ie website or bonkers, have a look in terms of what is roughly the value of your property. Maybe look at my home or uh, daft.ie in terms mm. of the valuations in your area. And that will give you a fairly good estimate in terms of the equity in the property. Because a lot of people think, well, I might be still close to negative equity. They need to come up at at least 20% there. And so I would say to somebody, if you have a tracker mortgage, there's no point switching. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. The switching options, they're open to variable and fixed, aren't they? Yeah, fixed you've got. The problem with fixed is you've got a prepayment penalty. So so that's the issue in that case. So you could overpay that, but uh, which is a separate issue. But on fixing, you're you're locked into the fixed rate period. You may have to break, pay a break fee. So just check that with the provider. But if you're coming up to the end of that term, you're probably going on to something else. That's the time to maybe have a look at that. On the variables, the standard variables and the tracker variables, particularly the standard variables, absolutely shop those around. Now, the lady who had gone from the 4.4 down to the 4.2, down to the 3%, had a fix, but she did it with her existing provider with no prepayment mm. penalties. That was just tricking the system. In terms of actually going out to the market, first of all, figure out the loan-to-value because most people think they're in negative equity. Some people may not be in negative equity. The second thing is figure out whether there's any issues on your credit history because that would kibosh, that would kill off the application itself. And then broadly after that, go back to all the providers. So again, use the ccpc.ie website in terms of actually the interest rate. And it's amazing as well. A lot of people don't really know what they're paying in interest rate. They have a rough idea. But the first thing I would say to people is if you have a tracker mortgage, you're never going to beat that value. You know, so just just hold on to Yeah, it. I think a lot of people are probably a little bit afraid of what they might see as sort of perceived costs, Sinead Ryan, with actually looking at... Um switching around mortgages. Yeah, I know that there's no doubt people are terribly resistant to this. I mean, it is singularly probably the biggest money saver over the term of your mortgage is to switch your mortgage from a high rate to a low rate. No, and is there no a limit on how many times you can do this? No, well, it's interesting because there's three of the banks now are offering these cashback deals, okay? So you have, um, where, you, where you take out your mortgage, you get 2% cashback and then if you're Bank of Ireland or EBS, you get another 1% in five years' time. It's to lock in customers. 
<laughs> very smart uh, borrowers, of course, are taking their money, uh, buying their mortgage with Bank of Ireland, getting their cash back, waiting a couple of years, moving it to PTSB, getting their cash back, hanging on a couple of years, moving it. To <laughs> so, sorry, you know, I, there are I really, you, really smart switches out Sorry, there. Sinead, can I tell you what the really smart borrowers are? And there's 10 of them documented on Ask About Money. What they're doing is, when they want to switch, they apply to Permanent TSB, Bank of Ireland and EBS all at the same time. They get approvals for all from all three companies. They switch to Bank of Ireland. They don't wait two years. The minute the cheque lands into the 2%, they have the approval from EBS. They switch to EBS. People have switched four times in six months and collected 2% on but three so of those you, occasions. Are you saying you can do that? There's no lock-in There is no rule. There is no rule. There is no There is no rule. In Ireland, you're not allowed charge a penalty for switching mortgages unless you're in a fixed rate. So these people did not fix, they took out a variable rate and they switched within weeks of taking out their mortgage. It would seem incredible that people can, as Brendan cited, can do that level of switching around that frequently. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm not surprised so I'm not, Like I'm not a big fan of, of the gimmicks that are out there at the moment by banks. I, we, we said earlier in the show that banks are mad to lend and they absolutely are but they're also, it, it's really important to them to lock in customers because they that there's a cost to offering that cash back, which they can only recover over a period of time. Uh, I think there's a huge area around the whole thing of financial literacy here, because, yes, there'll be a handful of people who absolutely say, I'm going to game the system. I'll do all my paperwork. It'll cost them an immense amount of time, maybe mortgage broker fees, legal fees, whatever to do it. OK, it works yeah. for the few that do that. Most people aren't that savvy. They're not across it. Um, and in terms of the literacy, what they can't even do is work out, is 2% cash back better than a lower interest rate over the term? Central Bank had a report out only last week uh, which said that uh, when it asked people to try and work out whether they would like to take €2,200 in cash back right now on a loan or a 0.4% lower rate over the term of the loan, most people said, I'd go for the cash. The cash yeah. But in fact, the cash is the equivalent of taking out a Visa card loan at 24%. <laughs> That, that's what you're looking at. Right. So so I think there's a huge piece of work to be done in the educating of people, not just in mortgages, but in all financial yeah, matters yeah. on this. And and one of the areas is to try, and what I would like to see, is for banks to be compelled to say, if you take this gimmick, then this is the reduction in yield or the cost to you over the term of the thing. And, well, and sure, that would be yeah, great. Well, there not just be an onus on people, as you said, figure it out themselves. It's a personal it's responsibility. Fine These are complex go, products. Yeah, I'm trying to bring Frank in just briefly on that. Yeah, just to just the benefit of the listeners, there's one other thing I want to bring in and often what I say to first-time buyers, for example, is maybe borrow long and pay short. You know, So it's a couple of things you can do is, in other words, if you did the mathematics on a mortgage, let's say over 30 years versus 15 years, the cost of interest is going to be huge. You know, So let's say on a €300,000 mortgage, if you did it over 15 years versus 30, you might pay sixty to 80000 less. That That's mathematics. Okay. You can overpay with most mortgage providers and a couple of banks will allow what we call overpayment calculators. Now, on fixed rates, you can overpay by about 10%. On variable rates, you can overpay by any amount you want. And that actually tricks the system into doing what we call a 15-year accrual on the mortgage itself. In other words, it tricks it into thinking that you've actually borrowed over 15 years. So just for the benefit of listeners here, what I would say is always protect your credit history in case something goes wrong down the line. But if you get more earnings or circumstances change or maybe somebody moves in with you, you can actually overpay that mortgage. So just keep that in mind 
investment for the future and try not to lock into a really high repayment over the 15 years, even though that will cost you less interest in the in the in the interim. We're going to continue our conversation with regards to mortgages and tips for uh, potential customers out there as well. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to the final part of today's programme. We're continuing our discussion on mortgages and how to get one in this country. Our panel still with us, Brendan Burgess, Frank Conway and also Sinead Ryan. Um, I want to spend just a little bit of time because I was asking um, people I know, people in the office today, various different people about, look, if you're looking for a mortgage, what do you need to know? So I might just start maybe with yourself, Sinead. You mentioned at the outset... You need the 10% deposit. It's three and a half times the salary. Um, there is a little bit of flexibility though with some banks on that three and a half times. There is, there? but not really for first-time buyers. I mean, they're allowed to offer 15 or 20% of their mortgage book um, to people who are outside those limits. All right, There's two limits, by the way. Loan to, loan to value, which is the, the amount you can borrow against the house. It's 90% is the maximum, 80% for a switcher. Uh, and it's three and a half times income for the loan to the loan to income ratio. Okay, now banks are allowed to offer a selection of mortgages outside those limits. However, crucially, what the bank you can't apply for it. Okay, so you can't put up your hand and say, actually, can I have one of those yeah. loans? The banks must offer it to you. And do you mean, sorry, is this where you, somebody might say, you know, um, I'm progressing really well in my career. I think I'm going to be getting a pay rise exactly. in the next year or two. So can you take Ex- that into account now? Is that yeah. what that means? Well, yes, except that what's really actually happening because the demand for lending is so high, um, it is identifying the consultant and the dentist in its book and going off and saying, do you want one of these loans? Um, and in truth, that who it is who it is aimed at, it's high net worth individuals with a very, very high um, salary and consistent salary. Um, it's not really being offered to the nurse and the Garda. Um, although, you know, obviously it is within the bank's gift to do that and, and should they mm. do it. Some of the banks, when it first came out, they they rushed out all their loans in January and February and yeah, they used well, up funny, their quota. Somebody, somebody said that to me as well. Yeah. You're better to look for the mortgage at the start of the year. Uh, yeah. Well, some of them now are, are spreading them out so they have a monthly uh, uh, target that they, yeah. that they hit for that. Unfortunately, the central the bank's quota they, they, you know, they can lend up to 20% of, of their mortgage. They can make exceptions. Uh, is an annual quota and it stops on the 31st of December. So the banks are in a bit of a difficulty. Um, It's based on drawdowns, not approvals. So they can't approve these late in the year. Um, I'm not sure what Sinead meant by people can't apply for it. You know, you can, of course, apply for it. And, uh, you know, lots of people are applying for it. Lots of first-time buyers, well, it's not a lot, a percentage of first-time buyers are getting exceptions on the three and a half times loan to income. No bank is lending and no bank should be lending, as far as I know, more than 90% loan to value. But if you're a second time buyer with um, who needs to borrow more than 80% loan to value and you have a good credit record and a good income, you have a very good chance. Can I just ask that. Frank Comer, because I don't want to spend too much time on this one particular issue, but if, if I'm going looking for a mortgage and I'm planning to rent out a room from the very moment I draw down my mortgage yeah. and buy my house, yeah. can, can that be taken into account? No, they're not taking that into account, but you can rent it out up to the €14,000 per year tax-free, yeah. so you're allowed to do that, but they're not taking it. And that's really what's happened over the last 10 years, is we moved away from a lot of this extra income, bonus-type income, So because that was a big, big problem in terms of the lead up to... But it would just mean you're in a position to 
That's S- fine. Certain service uh, yeah. in the mortgage. Yeah. But, they, but the banks no, don't, not. it's not guaranteed income and yeah. uh, they have to really go focus on your on your income from your job. I mean, if they're not allowed to take your Christmas bonus into account, they're not going to yeah. take in. Okay. The and a lot yeah. of people who, who got mortgages in the last time during direct lending exactly said they, they would rent yeah. out a room and never yeah. did yeah. and yeah. get yeah. into yeah. arrears and they would not even dream of having a tenant in sharing their okay. house with them. But, but, but just on those points, just Frank going Conway. back to the income, for for the benefit of listeners, what I would say is three things you have to look at. You have to look at the income of the individual and they have to be in permanent employment. Now, some of the things that happen on an ongoing basis is you may have Joe who's in permanent employment and his partner, maybe it's Mary, Mary's uh, the stipulation on the mortgage application is that she must go into permanent and then what's happened is Mary's become permanent and Joe's switched jobs, which kills off the application. So that's one thing. So they both have to be in permanent employment if the mortgage is dependent on those two incomes. Credit ratings are really important. So first is the income. Second is credit rating. There's two credit bureaus out there. Make sure you've got a clean credit record. What does that mean? How well, long means, does it have to be clean? Well, it, it, they go back over five years. And, and there are some anomalies happening right now with the central credit register where information is being reported back into it, which is six or seven years old. And there's old derogatory showing up. So I would say to people, maybe just have a check on that because it's coming up a little bit on loan applications as well, on non-mortgage non, non mortgage applications. So it's a bit of an anomaly. Check, check the credit histories. Make sure your central credit register, you can get one free copy of that a year or the Irish, Irish Credit Bureau, you mm. can pay €6.35 for that. Check that. And the third thing is just on the deposit, make sure you've got a history of savings. We've mm. talked about the Help to Buy scheme. On the history of savings, the banks will at least be looking for at least half of the 10% to be saved by the individual. They really want to see that there's a history out there. Two things can happen. You can either get the help to buy, which is up to the 20,000, depends on a mm. number of variables, or you can get parents to help you out, but make sure that, you know... Yeah, can the parents help you out with the deposit? Absolutely, yeah, they can help you out. And that is then drawn down against future inheritance. You can A child can inherit up to €335,000. So the revenue is counting against that. It has Your parents have to say it's a gift rather than a loan. Yeah. Uh, Liam Ferguson, a mortgage broker, did a very good post on Ask About Money, how to prepare for a mortgage application. And one of the things which people might not think of is if they think you have a gambling habit... Yeah you're going to suffer. So there's there's a whole pile of small things like that which might trip people up. But there's a long checklist. But the really important one that people do not think about is fantastic, I'm earning 50 grand a year, I can switch job now and I've been offered a new Mm. job at 60,000 a year Mm. and then the whole thing stops. So you actually might, if you're just close to buying a house, do not switch job. Or say to your employer, I'll take that job but I won't be able to start until after I have drawn down my mortgage. Okay. Or here's, or here's another Frank. one just on that point. You know, talking about switching the job. The other thing that sometimes people may do is take out a car loan which might be yeah. 700 yeah. euro knocks the whole debt service ratio completely off. So maybe hold off on those things a little bit. A very good Interesting advice. Interesting one that's emerged recently as well. You know with the the emergence in Ireland now of like say Revolution, the N26 yep. cards. Yep. They're looking for those accounts as well, aren't well, they? If you're, well, you need to have a Revolut card which is immensely popular. You need a mainstream bank to service it. Yeah. So if if your mortgage application sees out of your current account a payment going to Revolut every month, of course they are going to look for it mm. because you, what you don't want to happen from the bank's perspective is somebody with a lovely, um, nice-looking current account with all, you know, their, their rent and their shopping in Tesco's and their kind of car payments. Uh, and then over on the Revolut card, they're servicing <laughs> a gambling addiction. You know, they're buying stuff in the OS licence every second day. That's what they don't want. So, yeah. of course, they're going to look at it. They want to see all your accounts. How many months do they go back and look at... 
but well, two six, year, well, yeah, six months six months initially but they can go yeah. back a lot further can, if they two, want yeah to. two years I mean two years is kind of a standard in most things they look for at least six months of, of history out there and they, and the credit rating then will show back over five years but there's mm-hmm. two years of rolling history out there so they're getting you a number of different ways they're getting you through the bank accounts and the credit history so. and when you say credit history do you mean like paying the phone bill and the no no no, no. this is any lending loans. so yeah so credit it's not, unions banks personal yeah. loans car loans it's where you've defaulted on a loan like if you took out a credit card and you did not meet the repayments, you know, the minimum repayments, and they went after you. Or it's if you have bounced, up. if you've bounced things on your, like direct debits bouncing on your credit card, you have to be extreme on your your ordinary current mm-hmm. account, I should say. You've got to be very careful. About five years, they go back five years. Now, they will make exceptions for that. Like if somebody lost their job for a couple of months and it got into difficulty. But generally speaking, they want to see a clear credit record. And I've seen people losing mortgage applications over stupidly small amounts. Like, you know, people who, for example, don't pay their credit card uh, by direct debit and they've missed a few days and there's been two or three of those. The other thing which people should think about as well, um, and I've seen this causing problems for people and completely out of the blue, people who got into mortgage arrears some years ago, they got a split mortgage where part of the mortgage was parked and that has never been reviewed. As far as any, these people now come along, they want to trade up and they've got a split mortgage. So the bank is saying, no, you're, you're in. You're in so, yeah. so a lot of people don't need their split mortgages. If you don't need your split mortgage, give serious consideration to uh, making it a full repayment mortgage because the minute you start cleaning up your credit record, the five years begins. Okay. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. There's lots to consider. My thanks to our panellists, Sinead Ryan, Frank Conway and Brendan Burgess. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download um, the podcast from our website on newstalk.com or go to the Go Loud app. My thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from six and with Between the Lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.